weird. They didn't want to tell anyone yet, because this object was too weird to be believed. It was in the wrong place. No. Weird. Australia. Hey, I'm Stuart Buchanan, and you're listening to the New Weird Australia podcast. New Weird Australia, a many-headed beast which has been operating for over a decade now, shining a bit of a torchlight on Australian music from the margins. There's a whole mammoth catalogue of free compilations, artist releases, and podcasts to explore. You'll find it at newweirdaustralia.com.au, as well as on our Bandcamp, SoundCloud, and all the usual social places. This episode of the podcast is number 116, and it features Lawrence Pike, a Sydney-based artist who, for the last 20 years or so, has been straddling the worlds of electronic music, jazz, and left-field rock. Now, I first came across Lawrence's work here in Sydney as a founding member of Pivot, or Laterally PVT, who today have released uh, five eclectic and quite brilliant albums, two of which you can find on Warp Records. Lawrence also plays in a number of bands such as Sun Waves, Jack Ladder and the Dreamlanders and Triosk and as of earlier this year is the latest member of Liars with Angus Andrew. But it's his solo work we're largely talking about in this podcast today. He's released three solo records in three years on the Leaf label starting with Distant Early Warning in 2018 followed by Holy Spring and the new record Prophecy. Now, he recorded Prophecy during the intense Australian bushfire season earlier this year, and of course, is finding himself releasing it under similar apocalyptic conditions of COVID-19. We're going to hear Lawrence chat about this backdrop to the recording and its profound influence on the record, as well as the role of the artist and the nature of their response to these unprecedented times. This is Lawrence Pike on New Weird Australia. start by talking about the new record prophecy you've written a sort of uh, a long letter i guess kind of explaining your thinking around it but i guess for the benefit of people who are listening to the podcast who perhaps haven't necessarily come across that could you just talk a little bit about the kind of genesis of it because it was recorded or at least was kind of conceived initially during bushfire season right yeah um well i guess it's, it's my third record in as many years and i I seem to have got into a sort of process of making albums quite quickly when I do them. So it's this album I made in a space of four or five weeks, really, in in the summer that's just passed in Australia. Um, and obviously we had, you know, all these very catastrophic fires. And um, I think, you know, part of the idea of behind my work, particularly this solo m- music, is is to sort of work in a state of of um you know embracing the moment um almost 
to try to try and get into to develop a process and develop a way of performing where um, I, I feel like a participant in something bigger than myself. You know, where the music is kind of the thing that that that, that directs me. So um, I I think you know I had said about I'd come back from overseas and I didn't have much on in November and December, and I thought, well, I, I felt energized creatively, so I just started working on a record and knowing usually how I work I was like there's a pretty good chance I'm going to record this before the end of the year and um you know in the midst of this was just what was going on outside the literally outside the window was just you know brown skies and dark pink suns and people communities being driven into the ocean by fire and stuff and I think just um you can't help as someone who wants the music to reflect be responsive to their environment and to the moment um I I felt like I couldn't help the, the sort of sense of existential crisis that the country seemed to be in um, I felt that I couldn't it almost would have been un- unconscionable for me to not involve that somehow in the record it was it was so present mainly more than anything just because um, for me it really struck me as the almost the beginning of a new way of, of existing as a human being on the planet like it was like this is not just business as usual this is this is a shift this is a real shift and i i think that ties into um to me it made sense in terms of where the uh, the previous two records had kind of come from almost unconsciously i sort of realized kind of in part why i was making this music as a mean to as a means to kind of process all these sort of unconscious signals i've been getting from the from the universe and that's kind of the whole point of the project i guess was like to to start performing in a way that was quite personal and singular but and expressive and that sort of drew from a well of sort of unconscious knowledge there's so much that that jumps off from that let's maybe talk a little bit about the compositional process then or or maybe the kind of even the kind of pre-composition process if if I dare say that, those circumstances that are kind of manif- manifesting themselves around you, like how do they then sort of translate into the music themselves? Because there are two different approaches, I guess. You can, you know, you can put a very kind of definite kind of conceptual framework to it or, mm. or, or even a kind of process framework to it that says, I'm going to respond to this by doing this or, yeah. or the opposite, which is simply just to, you know, begin the process and, and, and essentially in a much more kind of subliminal way allow that yeah. to, to influence yeah it's it's definitely the latter for me um, uh, you know I've never been about sort of um, having really overt kind of um, uh, statements or, or, or like s- sentiments in the music I've always I've always been someone that feels like music should speak for itself but um, I guess I have become more interested and maybe this is just part of getting older I don't know but in the last few years I've become more interested in this sort of personal sort of spiritual experience of making music and and why it is I do what I do and increasingly as you know we find ourselves in a very sort of confounding world in so many ways it's like well what's my role in the world you know as an artist like how do I contribute you know and also in a place like Australia where you feel like that role and the worth of it is constantly under attack it it kind of makes you for me I find my natural response is to go inward and dig, dig deep, you know, dig down. So, yeah, because there is that sense that the events are so grand in scale, literally apocalyptic in scale, particularly mm. when you're talking about, you know, global pandemics and, as you say, like fires and 
communities fleeing to the ocean to escape enormous fires like it's so apocalyptic in scale that that sense of well i'm a musician like how do i how yeah. do i where's my position in the firmament you know because that yeah. just feels you know so well, it can feel irrelevant. It can yeah. feel wildly indulgent and irrelevant. But that, but then you have to hold on to the idea that these things have have meaning and give substance to life. You know, um, and it's something that I think you know, and and it, and it it's not going to come from the top down. That's been made clear. So it's like, well, it's you know, maybe uh, I have to kind of you know, I have to contribute how I can from the ground up you know and and say well I think this the cultural language of our country stands for something and contributes something um and and not not to be self-important but it's but it's just uh, just culturally I think that's an important thing um because without it then who are we you know um and you see it you know I think particularly at the start of the pandemic where we're under lockdown and what is it that we retreat to we retreat exactly culture it's somewhat dispiriting, I think, to be in that situation where culture has been the kind of salve or the soothe, but then the kind of, you know, the government response has been so muted. You know, it's pretty mm. clear the government just thinks culture is is very secondary to, um, you know, to existence yeah. in Australia. Well, I've, you know, I've been a professional musician since I was 20 years old, pretty much, you know, full time. I, I haven't had another job since, um you know, working in a record store when I was, you know, nineteen. Um, but clearly, the 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 message that's come from a lot of government in Australia is that you know, when it comes to the arts, is you know, get a real job, <laughs> and that's that hasn't changed. So, and it's you know, I figure the best thing I can do to contend with that and 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 a lot of other issues is to just try and make strong work, you know, and and keep keep doing what I do as 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 in, as intensely as i can um i figure you know i always think i think increasingly uh that you know musicians become like canaries or artists become canaries in the coal mine in so many ways you know in societies and and you know um i think particularly now increasingly working in a field that's that's is musically more abstract it's that to me makes sense as as a way to to sort of process abstract the abstract world that we seem to be living in so i'm increasingly the records i'm making are dealing with sort of the intangibles you know and and for me it's exciting because it it's uh it's a way for me it's a way for me to sort of remove myself from you know that from the immediate the immediacy is around me and kind of really try and summon something um more pure and expressive I always feel like it's hard when you start talking about these things that people, you know, you sound like you're, I'm at home like rubbing crystals or something like that. Or, but it's like yeah. it's it it is so much of the music I have grown up with and the artists I respect, you know, their work really stems from this idea of searching for your own voice. Um, and I feel like the solo music has given me a, a real opportunity to sort of. Uh, explore that and and it's kind of had its you know it's been revealing both musically and personally for me as well you know in a way that I haven't had before so it's been really rewarding um, on lots of levels
Let's maybe fixate for a second on the on the compositional process. You know, like yeah. if we if we take a track like Ember, for example, you know, which mm. has drums obviously, but that sort of beautiful looped piano sample, and also uh, kind of vocal sample as well. Rather than kind of talk about the album holistically, maybe sort of focus on the kind of compositional mm. process for that one and see what that, what that reveals. Yeah, uh, like it's interesting. I in terms of thinking of myself as a composer because I, I I've always found improvising is the you know most logical way to to compose it's it's sort of unconscious in so many ways and i i try and because because i'm uh, um i should explain i mean essentially the 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 albums are made by live they're live performances essentially they're live takes all of the tracks are live takes um which, which is by design um partly because you know that was the drive behind this i wanted to be performance based um, project, but also it's like I, I enjoy setting, the, giving myself the limitations of that, you know, and, and not having to worry about labouring pre or post production. And um, so it, the, the live performances for drum kit and sample pads, which I'm triggering sounds that I've, you know, sort of concrete sounds that I've pre pre recorded myself, and they're all sourced from myself. A lot of it from the drum kit itself as well. So usually a lot of the process usually starts with creating these sort of preconceived sort of, um, you know, cellular ideas. Um, and I try and make them in a, in a very quick and spontaneous way. Um, I think the idea is I want them to feel as spontaneous as the performances themselves. You know, when I, when I start to frame these things by playing the drums live with them and, and triggering them as I go, um, so the pieces are all very structurally open in so many ways. It's a matter of sort of, it's almost like a I, to begin the whole record, to begin the process, it's a matter of almost just like collecting f- objects. You know, I think of it like that or, or collecting just, I, it can, I think of it more like painting or sculpture than I do musical composition. It's more like just starting to collect the palette or, or collecting found objects to build, to sort of frame into something bigger. Um, so often it'll start with like a small idea like that piece ember for example started with that piano loop uh which was just a a few hours i did um at a friend's place on a piano and just recorded a whole bunch of things and then pilfered it for interesting little ideas and audio and then set that aside for a couple of weeks and came back to it and then you know I, i just try and find things that speak to me for whatever reason without any real intention it's like oh, okay well that loop that says something it's got an atmosphere to it i feel like so that becomes the first cell and then it's a matter of finding other things that orbit around that in interesting ways and then then starting to sit down at the drums and kind of develop a conversation almost with myself with these ideas and sort of figure out how to frame these ideas into sort of cohesive pieces or performances so it sounds like it's yeah. important not to um when we talk about the samples particularly not to kind of over process that 
know, yeah, I, I, I don't kind of loosen. Yeah, yeah. I want them to speak in a conversational way. You know, um, even though they're set ideas, I like the fact that they feel very fluid in the music. It feels very organic. Um, I, I, th- I like the idea that people. It's a little bit confounding to the ears as to who's generating what, what like what the source of the material is. Um, so for the music to kind of have that electronic component, which is fixed in so many ways, but I feel like um, it has an energy of conversation or dialogue, I think is was kind of the underlying objective for the whole thing. So um, if, that, if I've achieved that and people seem to think I say to me that that's how they feel about it, then I feel like it's a success in yeah. some ways. And, and for me, it's exciting because I, I feel like if I get it right, the music kind of... It, it does make itself, you know, and it feels like the permutations kind of become endless. So every time I perform the piece, it feels new to me, you know, in some way. It's a slightly, it's a new conversation on a, on a similar theme, you know. Yeah. Yeah. At what point do you know when that kind of pre-studio work is complete and it's mm. ready to then, as you say, go into the studio and do a kind of live one take? Do you sort of, do you book the studio in advance and give yourself a deadline or is it a bit more fluid? Yeah. I I I mean I think I work well under under pressure. I think if I put myself under pressure, I I'm I'm I can come up with a result. And um and part of that is just through years of experience as you know, particularly as a performer and as an improviser, is like you know you're capable of delivering a going into the studio. You're going to come away with something. It's it's more um and this is the part of the process I really like is that I never know quite what it's going to be, and it's it's what it what it becomes about afterwards is particularly because i've a lot of the production decisions are all preordained you know because i i've 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 done a i usually do very basic kind of production things to this to the sampled sounds as a means to get them to sit in the picture of the music like things like reverbs or delays or any effects and then some very basic panning things so it's when it's recorded live it's like those decisions are already made um and the thing the only thing i really have to determine once i've done the recording is just whether i like it or not you know like it's and it becomes about this process of acceptance you know what is this music do i choose to accept it and share it with the world or not and to me that's so liberating yeah it really is because it's like all i have to do then is mix it and it means i can make the records really quickly but it also constantly gives me this sense of that um you know i am a participant in the in music not just the music or my music just in music it's like it has its own energy and its own life and um, I guess on a philosophical sense, the thing I like about that is that it, it, I hope my hope, and I probably said something about this in a statement regarding the record, is like the, the, the way I feel like this music can contribute is that, especially in a time like now, um, when we're faced with existential crisis and, 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 and the world seems so like, like it's spiraling out of control, is that if I can, if I can create a space where people feel like there's limitless possibilities... I think there's value in that. I think there's a certain sense, if I can create a sense of like wonder or a sense that the future is not is not defined and that we have a possibility to invent our own future. I think, I feel like there's something, there's a power in that. And, and it's important for me because I need to feel that at the moment, you know, if that makes sense. I need to feel like totally. there's a sense of hope and possibility that none of us understand. And there's, it's potentially things are going to be okay. (laughs) (laughs) 
the thing when 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 I reflect on you know the kind of music that I choose to listen to or, or the kind of selections that I put into radio programs or even the vinyl that I choose to buy or whatever like I'm very driven by that sense of um, music that that gives that sense of limitless possibility like you described like I'm hearing mm. something new that gives the sense that 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 music is sort of infinite in its permutation there's something you said in the letter about culture has kind of lost its dynamic essence um, yeah. or momentum possibly can you talk a little bit about mm. that because that's a really interesting idea yeah it's a it's a it's, it's a really tricky subject and it's, i i kind of i knew that i i felt like i had to suggest something like this in this and i knew this was going to come back at me and it was going to be there were going to be <laughs> difficult conversations but because this is a very kind of almost ethereal sense that i get I think I started touching on this with the first solo record. And I didn't even really realize it at the time. I, I, I felt like I made that so unconsciously that I, I think about it now a couple of years later and go, okay, this is sort of a thread that's running through here. It's the same idea. We obviously live in this, it feels like we're living in this time where the old world and the new world are just really like ripping apart. Like we're, we're at this kind of really transitory time in human history. And, and that's only going to get more extreme, I think, particularly with as ai becomes more of a factor in our world and also but also like obviously you know factors like climate change as well uh, um i think they're two of the biggest things that you know they're the, they're the to me they're the biggest issues in 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 our world at the moment and i and i i realized that well for my entire musical life i've been exploring this area between how humans and technology kind of interact in some ways I feel like the the way that humans uptake technology is very fast and often without much thought for consequence. Um, and I think increasingly that that's going to become dangerous. Um, not to get, I don't want to get all conspiracy theory or anything like that, <laughs> but it's like, uh, I, I, I guess that's why I'm interested in making music that sort of maintains this sense of humanity about it while still engaging with technology on some level. Um, yeah it's increasingly it feels like the way we interact with each other and the way we communicate uh you know technology is influencing that and not always in positive ways i think and potentially like we're looking at the way we think about ourselves and the world is being rewired like in very mundane ways very slowly but surely i think that's what the first record was about which I called Distant Early Warning, which like makes complete sense now, but I don't even know at the time that title just came out. Right. I thought that makes sense. And I saw the album cover was just like, oh, it's a weird um, sort of giant sci-fi hand holding the sun in its hand in a sort of desolate futuristic landscape. And I just thought, well, that makes sense too. Um, well, to sort of, sorry, to just to, to try and sum this up, because I just feel like I just, I didn't. Um <laughs> It feels like we're at this crossroads where everyone's trying to decide what the what systems are, are, we're going to live under and how it's going to work, you know. And there's just a confluence of ideas about how the world's going to work at the moment. And I, I feel like the pull be very strongly between people wanting to open up the world into new ways of thinking and 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 confront the issues like climate change, for example, and people who want to you know retreat into this old old idea that the world is is how it, what how it used to be or it's going to stay the same and and in, and if there's one thing i'm certain is the world is not going to stay the same you know like that that to me is just a given that's like um i agree and i and i wonder how much of that is driven by fear of change because 
because change you know as, as we've seen when you when i mean you could go back as far as kind of terence mckenna and the eschaton and so on and the, the the speed of change and what that does to society and and it feels like we are all working under um a rate of change that is phenomenal and so for people mm. to retreat it's 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 that they can't quite live with or otherwise buy into yeah. the speed at which things are changing of course and i can't even you know and i'm you know i'm of a generation that's you know i grew up in the sort of analog world and then from the age of 17 or 18 you know i had the digital world was present in my life but i can imagine for people older than me it would be you know and i i find it hard to contend with sometimes i'm just like oh, i don't want to do i don't want to know I just I want to st- I'm going to stick with a certain way of doing things, you know. So it's like I'm guilty of it myself in many ways. But yeah. um, I feel blessed by having kids that are of an age that are just fully, obviously, a hundred percent digital, and I see how hmm. they create particularly. And um, you know, I, I sort of look at their process of how they sift through culture and how they create hmm. from that, and realize that it's completely different to the way that I did it. But it gives me gives me a lot of hope. I have to say. Um, mm. Increasingly, I've I've been sort of you know I've actually done some like mentoring stuff recently with some younger musicians, and I found it extremely expi- inspiring just in terms of how I feel like there's already been a shift between people who are in the sort of early twenties now and people who are slightly who are probably closer to thirty now. I I, I feel like there's a younger generation that are much much more open and um, mm. much more self aware, and I find that just i find that really exciting i haven't felt it for a while particularly in sydney so to, to meet some people locally that are you know that's important i think as a musician is to kind of engage generationally with people and 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 learn from each other you know and, and share the language i think it's 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 as important as it is what what they have to offer me is as important as what i might have to offer them and this is something that's come up in talking to younger musicians and i think is important to consider when it comes to music is that with with all of with all of the exponential speed and advances in technology i think the thing that doesn't change when it comes to music is the fact that music is a medium that exists in duration and and time is a is you can you can't compress time time you know the duration of time will never change and i think that's where i find it difficult the the fact that we live in an era where there's that the interface is available to to present your work and to connect with people um are very have become extremely limited in in so many ways in that they don't value the nature of music the fundamental nature of music which is duration i think um so ultimately what we've got is like almost feels like the one funnel where everything comes out of now it's like this one highway or this one stream which where whether you're adele or whether you're lawrence pike abstract musician from sydney you're all just shooting out the same shit tube you know like and it's kind of it doesn't work like that you know my music's not going to translate as a 30 second instagram post you know um, the for- that format doesn't necessarily honour the idea of that you know and the process that I'm trying to engage in, and I th- I think that that works on in multiple sort of yeah. musical forms, and I think young people can forget that because they've never grown up knowing otherwise, and I I think that's important. It's something I felt like inevitably talking to doing these recent mentoring sessions and talking to young musicians is like, don't forget that like you can't change the nature of music. You know, no matter what, no matter what, no matter what Spotify or Instagram says, it's like music exists in a certain, and that's, I think that's something, I'm not saying things need to stay the same, but it's like, 
that's something we can't change and it's something to be there's a legacy a heritage of that needs to be honored there i think i think anyway maybe i'm wrong you know maybe we'll all be listening to you know um ringtones you know like in 15 years time i don't know like but maybe that's the way maybe i'm i'm outdated or i'm i'm maybe it's a bit of a longish bow but maybe i can draw a few strings together a moment that borderline epiphany happened maybe two two or three years ago at warm adelaide when i saw kamasi washington play mm. and the most remarkable thing about that show was that all the boomers were at the back on deck chairs and the folks that were in the mosh pit were essentially like 16 year olds and it was just yeah, seeing right. this kind of teenage response to very kind of free spiritual jazz mm. and just how much they were getting off on it. And I talked to another artist about it um, afterwards and he was saying he was playing a festival in Brazil Brazil, and the same thing happened. He was watching this, the like swathes of teenagers responding to spiritual jazz and it just sort of struck me as you were talking there about on one hand, they haven't necessarily been exposed to that music perhaps, that's part mm. of it. And of course hearing something like you know Kamasi Washington for the first time will blow your mind if you've never been exposed to that before sure um, but there's there's obviously the durational sense to it as as well but it does give hope i suppose it does give rise to mm. the idea that well we might think that or at least maybe you know sort of maybe five or ten years ago jazz seemed to be in a, a position where it hadn't necessarily kind of crossed over to a younger generation at scale it feels mm. like that's that's changed somewhat and even you know even the stuff we see through kind of Brownswood and so on with the kind of you know and stuff is happening in London where there's definitely a sort of generational turnover um in mm. jazz and I wonder how much of that is really it seems to be very spiritual jazz you know things like um, mm. um Shabbat Hutchings and so yeah on. and I think I think it's a re I think it is a reaction to the things I'm talking about it's mm. and I and and it, I think the the what the mu what that music asks of you is so different to what the, the teenagers you were talking about would be, have been exposed to before mm. Um, and and in so many ways, it's it's it can be a difficult music for people to find a way into. Partly because it's there's so few outlets for it anymore. It's hard for people to be exposed to it, unless it's on the terms of the interfaces that we are talking about. You know what I mean? Unless it presents itself in a way which is reduced in some way, and that's not what the essence of the music is about. So, um, so I think if people do find a way into it, it is really fucking exciting, you know, because it represents a whole other way of thinking which you don't. You, I don't feel like is um, ex people are exposed to nearly enough anymore. It ties in a little bit, and and the reason I kind of maybe leapt to that style uh, was because before we kind of wind up the conversation, I did want to talk a little bit about Sun Waves. Mm. Um, uh, a new EP came out, I think, uh, recently, which was sort of out, outtakes from the twenty eighteen sessions. But that yeah. is, you know, that is. A a spiritual jazz project i guess I mean, yeah that, would you would you put that sort of frame around it yeah i think so it definitely draws it draws inspiration from the the sort of ethos of that music yeah it's interesting like i've kind of inadvertently found myself as part of that sort of london spiritual jazz kind of revival you know just through working with with luke abbott and jack wiley in in that band um and and that it's very closely related to all the things I'm talking about in terms of my solo music as well. And and you know I feel like those guys share that that those sort of similar sentiments and and motivation to make to make music that is about 
the moment and and drawing on something more universal you know that's that's outside of ourselves you know that's been an impetus for me to do this solo work as well like they kind of happened concurrently and and um, influenced each other in really interesting ways it's frustrating I mean we finished another record but obviously we, we were supposed to put it out this year and do some touring but obviously that's just yeah. that's not going to happen I think one way or the other we'll, we'll, we'll put it out next year just for the sake of keeping some momentum going even if, if touring still not a, a reality um, but it's a band I, re- I love making music with those guys it's really like it's been so special and we love to we love playing shows together and and just the the only frustration is that we haven't been had able to do more you know um yeah, yeah I, I i we always really look forward to playing together and it's, and we always get into, every time we're together it's we get into the studio as well because it's like it's it is about documenting the process itself and that because that's that's the composition <laughs> if that makes Because they're all one-take improvised sessions, right? Um, a lot of the time. We work in a variety of ways. That's the other thing. We don't really know. We're just we're, we're just we're responding to each other and, and whatever works and, and whatever feels right. I mean, we sometimes, but most of the time, yeah, it stems from improvisations. We might have a moment in the studio where we'll do, it, we'll do something and go, oh, that was really good. Let's, let's do that again, you know? Just like let's, whatever we just did, let's try and do a... You know, maybe that version was fifteen minutes. Maybe that's not. It felt a bit long-winded. Maybe we, let's just try version uh, compress that into you know seven or eight minutes and see what happens without discussing the ins and outs of it. That's usually how we work, you know. Yeah. And there's a little bit of because Luke is, you know, he's obviously doing modular synth stuff. It's it's not as as immediately responsive as like being able to just play the sax or the drums in the in in. You know, often he might be like, "Give me give me ten minutes. I'm just going to patch some things. I've got some ideas," you know. Um, but we don't discuss a lot otherwise um, and it's great because I just uh, I can think of the in the case of the last record we did we did a couple of days recording and in my brain I kind of remembered some things from the session I thought yeah it's going to be a great record and then Luke said as Luke is prone to do oh hey here's the record I finished it and <laughs> I didn't remember any of the stuff on the record I was like I don't remember making any of this music this is not the record I remembered making but it's great. It's just like it's. I I feel like I'm. I don't know. I don't. I don't have any say in that. It's just the music is what it is. You know. at the bottom of the introductory blurb for prophecy 
mm. there's a little line that snucks in the bottom which is um you know lawrence has now joined liars mm. you know, and they're recording on something that's big news i know that angus remixed a track off holy spring last year have you known mm. angus for a while from the top i could say that liars have been a really important band for me since i was i mean really i've been listening to them for 15 years so i'm they've, they've been a very influential band in my I feel like they're part of my musical DNA in some ways. Um, so um, when I heard Angus had moved back to Sydney, I was I felt like at some point it was likely we would cross paths. But it sort of happened in an unexpected way. Um, in 2018, another friend of mine, who is a guitarist called Cameron Dale from Melbourne, um, who I'd, I'd been I'd known for 20 years and we'd done a lot of stuff together, he'd been living in the States and somehow knew... I'll, make it, I'll try and make this quick. Somehow knew Angus's <laughs> management, I think. So I get this email from him. I was on the road somewhere. I got this email from him saying, hey, do you want to play in Liars? And I was just like, what the fuck? Of course I want to play in Liars, you know? What are you talking about? Yeah. Um, so yeah, this opportunity to come up, Angus wanted to do some shows to, to you know, present the last record. And yeah, we did, we did some shows together and, it, you know, we clicked and basically, yeah, we sort of rolled on from that to, to work on a, a new record together. And it's it's been, for me, just you know a real joy i think just to get to know angus and you know i think he's such an incredible musician um the way he thinks is so different in so many ways and it's 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 really like it, it's educational it's inspiring it's you know he works he works in a you know for him it's like he would probably you know he'd probably laugh at the fact that you know i would say he's a great musician because he i think he doesn't you know he i, I think he he's more of like an auteur sort of character where it's just he conceives things in a, in a sort of holistic different way to 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 me i think um but there's so much to learn from that process you know like the way he he hears sound and processes sound and 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 values things on face value in, in ways that i can't <laughs> and i'm learning to you know but um yeah, so we've been working, you know, on and off the last year or so on this on this album, which is kind of getting pretty close to finished. And it's just, yeah, it's been really, um, it's been really exciting. I'm, I'm, I've yeah. really enjoyed it. Um, and and also, there's this always a slight terror where it's just like, I've I, I realized until recently, uh, uh, I started list, listening back to the Elias catalog because we're sort of getting to that point in the record where we're needing to make decisions about tracks and. Um, trying to sort of find what the picture of the album is because we've got a lot of material now and it's like well what's what's you know what's the thread here that we're we're trying to uncover and um so i thought oh i'm gonna go back and listen through the catalog to get it i just to, just to get an idea of the shape of the trajectory of the music and how what we're doing now fits into the legacy of that and i found it really confronting because i realized i'd avoided listening to any of it for such a long time because I mean, listening to records like Drums Not Dead, I was like, oh, this album is like, it's such an important record for me. So much of this album influenced the way I think about my music that I suddenly realized like, oh, I'm playing in this band now. It's like, I don't want to be the guy that fucks this up. <laughs> Please don't let me be the one that fucks this up. <laughs>
thanks for having a chat. It was, it was great. It's been wanting to talk to you for a long time. Oh, um, pleasure. Thanks for having me. Uh, awesome. Thanks, Lawrence. Thanks, Cheers. you.